Welcome to What's Happening in 40K. Your daily dose of all things Warhammer 40,000. Each day, Monday through Friday, we explore the Warhammer 40,000 tournament scene. And bring you the latest news, updates, and opinions. So, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a newcomer to the hobby, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us as we delve into the world of 40K. Here's your host, Mufasa. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode. And today we are the episode before the episode because obviously tonight there is the Games Workshop preview and we'll be doing a reaction episode to that tomorrow morning first thing. So if you are listening to this on the day it comes out, we're going to have some juicy comments for you tomorrow. And if you are listening to this after the fact, we encourage you to go check out our reaction video because there's going to be some interesting stuff to discuss, I'll tell you that. But today we have a special guest on. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, the lead Super Major does launch this Friday at 2 p.m. It is going to be our biggest event in the North and potentially the second biggest event in the country, which would make it the third biggest event globally. We're hoping for 540k players at that event. We uh, have a massive, really awesome hall, and we have potential to expand that and take a second hall at the venue as well. So anyone that came last year will be pleasantly surprised. We'll have even more space, and of course, we'll have free ice cream just like last year. Today, we are joined by Alex Petford. Alex has been mentioned a few times on the podcast. He is currently a Dark Angel player, and uh, he's been hopping around. But what we're going to do today is go through some of Alex's thought processes and his comments on how... You can adapt a list while you're playing something that seems to be strong, but you think you can make it either a little bit more fun to play, a little more optimal to play. All these sorts of thought processes that go through anyone's head when they're going from an event to an event, and they've done well, but not perfectly. And uh, we've viewed this in the past through the lens of adaption when you are the champion, when we spoke to Manny, or maybe you've just come up short and you want to tweak it a little bit. What we're going to do today is talk about how you can tweak a list to make it maybe a bit more of a reflection of your own personal play style. Maybe you want to take something a little bit different. Maybe you want to counter somebody else's list. And we're going to do this through the lens of Dark Angels, the new hotness. And obviously, we've been talking about that yesterday with George as well. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Zach. Hello. Well, it's, it's good to have you. And um, we mentioned you yesterday as having taken um, the, the primaris unit that no one could remember. I think they were, now I've looked them up. I think the they're hell glasses on. Yeah. Yes. So for anyone that, that missed that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because Bets On is our so far our most popular segment. And basically, Alex took a strong Dark Angel list to the Southampton Super Major recently, but had this MVP unit of Hellblasters. So, Alex, why don't you just quickly run us through what your list was at Southampton and why you chose to include this left field unit of uh, plasma wielding dudes? Yeah, of course. So uh, the the core of the list is pretty similar to most of the Dark Angels list in the rounds at the moment. So a couple of 10-man units of Terminators with uh, all the trimmings. Uh, got a, a unit of three land speeders, two individual land speeders, um, and then the, then the Hellblasters. So like I say, the core of the list pretty much doing the same thing as all of the other Dark Angels lists. Um, you know, I've got the, the minus one damage banner and the Apothecary in there as well. Uh, the three-man unit of land speeders was there because uh, there's the pre-game move option, um, so it was just something that had the ability to do a bit of you know, decent damage output uh, if I managed to get first turn. Um, but the Hellblasters, yeah, my, my sort of uh, unique addition to the list. Um, 
really enjoyed using them. Not going to go as far as to say they were the most optimal thing that I could have taken. Uh, I think, uh, especially when Terminators are so cheap, it's difficult to make the argument for anything but another unit of Terminators as being the optimal choice there. Um, but there's uh, there was a lot of synergy, actually, I, I found um, when I started kind of playing around with them. So the, the main thing I was looking for was something with some really reliable ranged output. Um, you know, the, the list itself, uh, the Dark Angels, it's, you know, it's got bits and pieces, you know, the multi-melters on the speeders, the assault cannons, uh, obviously the cyclones on the terminators. There's nothing really that, that really kind of hits hard and hits reliably. Um, you know, the multi-melters don't get any re-rolls or anything like that. They're quite short range. So you've got to sort of take that risk of putting something right up in somebody's face uh, to, to try and do some damage. And if it doesn't work, then kind of leaving yourself out on a limb. Um, so uh, the Hellblasters, uh, I actually found kind of did, did that for me. Um, they've got good range. I was using the heavy Hellblasters, which I think is probably the first time they've ever seen play in a competitive list since they were released. Um, but 36 inch range, uh, Devastated Doctrine, they're hitting at strength 9, AP 5, flat damage 3, um, potentially flat damage 4 because Dark Angels have access to uh, weapons of the Dark Ages, which is a strap for increasing the damage of a plasma weapon by 1. Um, but they're also core, uh, core infantry, so benefiting from the Chapter Master rerolls uh, or Captain rerolls, the Lieutenant rerolls from the Talon Master. Uh, as well as the ignore cover, not that that really matters at AP5. Um, and uh, because they're infantry and dark angels, they can use the strat to count as stationary uh, and therefore gain plus one to hit. So you actually get this flip where, you know, normally if you move and shoot with a heavy weapon, you're taking minus one. But as dark angels, you can basically move and shoot with a heavy weapon and get plus one. Um, and then on top of that, let's take an Azrael, gives them a four plus invul. Uh, and the banner, which lets them potentially shoot on death. So a number of different things in the list kind of contributing to making them not terrible. And what I really found is that they were good for uh, sort of dealing with targets that the Dark Angels aren't particularly great at dealing with. So, you know, the random land speeders or small units of uh, you know Marines or, or something like that that kind of pop up and you've got no weapons that can reliably deal with them at range. Uh, you don't want to send the Terminator squad chasing after them or anything like that. So it helps there. Um, but the main thing, actually, that the profile sort of enticed me against, um, given the, the meta at the moment, or what I was expecting the meta to be at Southampton, which was a lot of guard, um, is the way that they can deal with things like Lehman Russes and Sentinels. Um, so obviously the, the high AP, the high strength, the access to re-rolls, you know, they can go through that kind of armour without any problems at all, especially when they don't have invols. Um, so that, that was really kind of what, uh, what enticed me to them. Well, you mentioned a few interesting concepts there that I think are much broader than just the Dark Angel list, but obviously you speaking about them in the context of your dark angels so let's bring those out a little bit because they'll be the most applicable parts of this conversation to the general the general the general audience not the general reader but the general listener so you mentioned the core of the list and i think this is a concept that's familiar to most people that have been playing a faction for some time there's sort of an optimal starting point if you like maybe it's 1200 yeah. points if you're playing one faction you know, maybe you've got a more point sufficient faction where your starting point in the case of Dark Angels, it's your sort of 20 Terminators. How many points is 20 Terminators? About 600 points or something like that. So 660 nowadays. I wonder if we could, you know, conceptually use this concept of like 
starting points, starting core of a list. So if you think about like all the meta lists around at the moment, what is their starting core that you're always going to write down? It used to be, you know, back in seventh edition, it would be three squads of three scat bikes and a farsia, you know, and then working out what the points are for those. You could probably come up with a pretty, you know, this is something that David Gaylord would love, a, a pretty good ratio that you could match to each faction and rank them based on like, how many of their 2,000 points do they use in order to build that core? Because then, yeah. obviously, the next stage of the thinking then would be, all right, well, then I've got all these additional points to tailor for my secondaries to take tech pieces to tailor for the meta, which is where we're going to get onto in a second. So that's a super interesting concept. And uh, you're playing Dark Angels again this weekend. Yeah, I'm assuming the core you've, uh, stayed, stayed the, the same. The core yeah. has stayed the same. <laughs> All right, but what but what has changed? What what have you been fiddling with around the edges of this core? Um, so the the pretty much the only change that I've made, uh, or the, the main change I've made, is switching the Hellblasters to Desolators. Um, yeah, we've we've heard a lot about these. I think in the previous podcast as well. Um, but they 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 bring a similar uh, output. Uh, in terms of their direct shooting with the super crack missiles, a little bit less strength, a little bit more damage. Um, same range uh, or a little bit more range actually I think for the direct shooting um, but they also add an element of indirect shooting as well um, which is obviously great uh, especially as Dark Angels where they can get the plus one to hit for, for counting stationary um, so that's the main change uh, they were a bit more expensive um, so sort of had to make a, a few other changes as well to, to sort of compensate for that uh, so Azrael went from the list sadly Um that was a, a bit of a twofold thing, actually. So, obviously, trying to find points for the desolators, but um, also because his old data sheet is no longer uh, working and he's he's been primarisified, uh, he's gone up thirty points. And I, I just didn't feel like shelling out quite that many points for him. Yeah, he's expensive uh, now. He is. He is definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, he went from the list, got replaced by a, uh, a Phobos captain, chapter master. Um, which uh, is a little bit of a random choice, but I can talk about that a bit later if you want. Um, and uh, just picked up some points for uh, a couple of acolytes as well, uh, some agents of the Imperium, which was just this interesting little tech that actually one of my opponents at Southampton used when I played the mirror match there, um, which I quite liked. So I decided to drop that into my list as well. Interesting. So we'll, we'll touch on each of these things individually because I think they're all raise good points about list construction and how list construction sort of varies if you are in the organized play scene you come to events all the time versus like if you're just playing at home so um let's start with the acolytes because i think they you know reinforce what we're trying to do at the uktc the most which is you're getting massive amounts of exposure to people outside your network in a short space of time so you get basically like you get to learn a lot very quickly so who were you playing who had the Acolytes? What did they teach you? And how what might that have been different or something that you weren't able to get within your regular playgroup? Because you're obviously a member of Dice Down. You've got some of the best players in the country uh, hanging around you in your different group chats. But you managed to gain something you know, something new from going to an event. So tell us a little uh, bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, it, it was in a Dark Angels uh, mirror match, like I said. And uh, I just, just noticed at the, the start when we were sort of going through each other's lists that this guy had this one acolyte in his list. Sort of very curious why he'd decided to include that. Um, I know it's difficult to, to spend the sort of odd points left over in Space Marines now, given that everything's free. Um, so it's difficult to spend those sort of five or ten points that you might have uh, knocking around. Um, 
So I was just interested why I decided to include this guy. Um, so it's uh, it's an agent of the Imperium choice, uh, ten point model. Uh, it's basically a guardsman. Um, but the the interesting point is that if you take them in a unit of one, they gain the character keyword. Um, so for ten points, you suddenly gain this sort of untargetable person that can run around at the back of your uh, army. You know, providing a bit of backfield screen. Uh, maybe do some actions, things like that for you, like raise banners. Um, so it just felt like a really interesting choice, actually. Uh, and, and like I say, not a lot of points to, to make that happen. Um, and I, I mean, I, I guess we, we just sort of hadn't even looked at it uh, or spoken about it in the Dice Down chat at all. Um, the new agents of the Imperium uh, data sheets came out. Um, I think everybody had a quick look through, realised that nothing had really changed. Um, so just assumed there'd be nothing sort of particularly exciting to to change about your list build. Um, so yeah, we just just hadn't come across it at all. Um, so I saw it, and then when I was writing my list, I just realised it it did save or it solved a couple of problems for me. Um, so I found quite a lot at Southampton when I was using the list that I was having to um, keep one of my land speeders or or something like that in my backfield to maintain the screen, um, which in some matchups is is pretty important. So, um, you know, where you've got things like Cassacrin that can redeploy or if you're playing into Gene Steeler Colts or something like that, where you can get things popping up in your backfield or, you know, Iron Hands with the Devastator drop pod. Um, you know, it's, it's quite important having something that can screen uh, and something inexpensive that can screen as well sometimes. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they do that. So you know, rather than having a land speeder sat at the back doing nothing and, and wasting its mobility and firepower, I can just have a couple of a random little acolytes. Which, as long as there's no um, indirect shooting nearby, uh, which obviously the desolators scupper a little bit, but um, they're uh, you know they're an interesting tech piece for for twenty points. Um, and especially given that I've taken Desolators myself, where it's you know it's very important when you've got a unit like that that you're looking to to kind of hold your firebase at the back, that you're not leaving that firebase vulnerable to to deep strike attacks. Yeah, that's a super important point. I think one of the concepts here we can implement is the concept of opportunity costs. So anyone that's got a business studies GCSE will understand. You know, when you have a land speeder or something at the back and a perfect opportunity for a multi-melter shot comes right in front of it and you're like i so want to go do that and yeah. because this because the the equation here is like offensive damage versus defensive survivability and because of all these biases we have anyone that's read Kahneman's work will will know like we're we're inherently like risk averse right so lots of people will want to be holding back this thing to screen out their their the deep strike attacks or the you know the flanking maneuvers whatever it is coming off off the um off the side of the board but those of us that aren't risk averse you know we just want to throw our last speeder out there and shoot something so uh you know i often find if i have a cheap unit that's explicitly there to just do one thing and hasn't got a good gun i'm much more sensible at the gaming table and my strategy goes more according to plan um i'm much more less likely to run an acolyte out and uh try and kill something big although um actually coming to mind at the beginning of eighth edition when we were running index armies i had i think it was a 10 point astropath and uh he was doing the same sort of thing screening out the back of the board and i got magnus down to one wound and i was like you know what i can do i can run the, the uh 
the astropath forwards and smite Magnus to death. And that's ex- that's exactly what he did. And then, of course, the deep strike blob came down and wiped my, my whole army. So this momentous <laughs> achievement kind of floored me, but uh, it's been a story I've told many times since. So, um, I, all right, I let's move on. You, to- you'd do that again, give it the chance, though, surely, to, to oh, smite course, Magnus off the table with an astropath. Yes, yeah, I mean, that's that's what these one-wound spaceship pilot things are uh, supposed to be doing, right? So um, we'll move on a little bit from uh, from my uh, recollections of 8th edition and uh, talk a, a bit about um, your choice for the, the Desolators. Now, this is something we've covered a lot already, so I don't want to talk too much about Desolators themselves, but what I would like to talk about is why you chose to switch from the Hellblasters. So you have one unit in, in your list. You know you mentioned AP5, damage 3, potentially up to 4. So these seem like the perfect counter unit against the Metal Hotness, Dark, Dark Angel Terminators. You know, If they're going to do minus 1 damage, you do plus 1 damage, each shot still kills one. You're AP minus 5, so you don't care about the fact they got a 0-up saving cover. These seem like a really good unit in your army to counter the Mirror Match. And yet you've lost them, and what you've done is you've ended up taking a unit that everyone else has taken, meaning that the mirror match becomes much more swingy because you're playing playing a similar list again. So keeping on the spirit of this episode about how you can tweak and make your list unique to your play style or your play preference, tell us a little bit about you know why you've chosen to reduce the amount of uniqueness in your list this time compared to Southampton. Um- well, first off, uh, didn't necessarily know that it would be reducing the uniqueness. Uh, obviously, Desolators are relatively new. Uh, me and Malik uh, put our heads together, decided that this would be a good change for the list, um, and maybe slightly naively uh, didn't realise quite how prevalent they would be in everybody else's lists as well, but also tells me that it's probably a good choice. Um, in terms of how they stack up against the Hellblasters, I think that the simple answer is they, they do what the Hellblasters do and more. Um, albeit with with one less point of AP. So, in terms of that output, like you're saying, into the the Terminators, they're they're still the direct shooting is still damage three plus D three, so still at least minimum damage four. Uh, it's AP four instead of AP five in Devastator Doctrine, so that's still forcing them onto their inball save. Um, and the strength is pretty irrelevant because you're only ever winding these guys on fours anyway. Um, they've got a bit of extra range, but um, you know the 36 versus 48 in this case isn't isn't so relevant um you know in terms of what i said before about into things like lehman russes or sentinels um you know granted you, you're giving the the russ a, a six up save where before you'd be going straight through um but now you're doing d3 plus three damage instead of four um and you're also not having to run the risk of overcharging and melting yourself or um having to spend the tcp on weapons of the dark age to get the extra damage and so so essentially like i say they're they're doing the same thing in the list they're a little bit more expensive but then you've got the benefit of having uh or the indirect shooting as well um which really closes out a couple of other matchups uh, so things like Eldar, where they've got you know quite flimsy troops that are looking to to hide and and sneak behind ruins and things, you can just hit them. Um, and actually, mainly the guard matchup, uh, where previously the Cassacrin were a real concern because they just pop out and do all of the mortal wounds um, because they can take the full rerolls off um, uh, the new Lord Solar. Um, you know now you're forcing them to make a decision around. Well, can they actually even deploy on the table, or do they have to go up in the sky because they they can't risk taking that uh, that turn of ignore loss shooting? 
Mm. Well, we we touched on on one thing that you are changing to list, and you know, once again, make a bit more unique. And we'll, we'll come on to comparing and contrasting this with the other lists at uh, Manchester in a second. You have the Phobos captain now. Everyone's gone for their own variety of captain this weekend. <laughs> You've gone for for the, the guy who starts with a P as opposed to you know the guy who starts with A. So tell us a little bit about that choice, and uh, you know, thinking more um, generally about your list choices. You know why? Why choose one rather than the other? You know what? What sort of thought process do you go through? So uh, I I didn't want to spend the points on Azrael. Um, I still wanted to make sure I'd got access to rerolls. Uh, so at the very least, needed to have a captain in the list. Uh, so sort of that that was quite a quick decision to make. You know, obviously the list got a lot of core stuff, so having access at least to the reroll ones is is pretty important. Um, there's then um, because. Dark Angels have got the ability, as I mentioned before, to count a unit as stationary. That essentially means if you if you use that strat on that unit, then if it moves, then it's going to be hitting on twos, re-rolling ones from the captain. So suddenly having the chapter master upgrade as well means that you can have one unit hitting on twos, re-rolling ones, the other unit hitting on threes or fours, re-rolling everything. So you, you maintain an efficiency on, on sort of two uh, ranged units there, which is really strong. Um, I, I had to double check the rules a few times to make sure I could actually take a Dark Angels chapter master. Um, for some reason, I, I can. Not sure what happened to Azrael, but we'll just pretend he didn't exist for a moment here. Um, so, uh, yeah, decided I wanted to go with the chapter master upgrade as well. Um, and then the Phobos upgrade uh, was uh, actually just down to, to points that I had left at the end. So um, I mentioned before that there's not loads of places to spend the points um, with Space Marines now. Um, but this guy's five points more expensive than a regular captain uh, or a regular Primaris captain. Um, and actually what you get for that, when I looked at it, is is pretty strong. So um, obviously he's still Primaris, so he gets the extra wounds and, and things like that compared to, to a normal one. Um, he's uh, He gets the same thing that the Infiltrators get, so the 12-inch no deep strike uh, bubble. Um, which is obviously very good, uh, you know, especially used in in sort of alongside the infiltrators. It can can really help uh, screen large portions of uh, of your, your army frontage. Um, he gets like a little sniper rifle thing, which is not irrelevant. Um, you know, can maybe put some wounds on characters that are, are poking their heads out. Uh, and he gets a camo cloak as well, um, which means. Uh, obviously against other snipers and things like that he's he's actually quite a bit tougher than um a normal primaris captain if he's touching some cover um so yeah it's not sort of uh massive sort of deliberate tech piece but sort of seeing all of those benefits five points actually felt pretty strong so i uh, i decided to go with it yeah, and I think you know that's sometimes the situation we find ourselves in. You know, if you're short five points, maybe forty. You know, you're kind of hunting around for little bits of efficiency. But I think I'm probably not alone when I say you know when you design a list or you get all the blocks together exactly how you want them, and it happens to come to two thousand points, you always feel like you're onto a winner there, right? Because you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I've got everything I want, and I've got no no uh, no fat in the list. So, for example. We'll start contrasting some of your decisions with some of the other Dark Angel players at the Manchester Super Major now. Manny Chima also has a primary captain, but he did not have the five points to spend on making him Phobos. His list came in exactly at the 2,000 points, and he's got all of the 
core we've discussed, along with a couple of talent masters, you know, and he's, he's got all his very efficient unit choices there. So what we've done, and I will get you to comment on these because I'll be reading out a bunch of stuff, is we've fed in all of the top five Dark Angel players, the favorites that we covered yesterday in the episode with George, into chat GPT-4. And we've asked it to compare and contrast these lists, com- commenting on similarities, differences, and which ones it thinks are the best. So we fed in Mike Porter's list, Manny Chima's list, Adam Lane's list, your list, Alex, and Malik's list. And we asked That's it to we asked it to compare them. And this is ChatGPT4, so it is the new AI model that just came out a couple of days ago, but it doesn't have access to ninth edition rules. So it's purely going on the words within the lists as it discusses it. It's not going off, obviously, current meta results, but as uh, Google's own um, AI gets uh, rolled out, I've got early access to that through one of my accounts, so we'll be doing that, and it obviously has access to all the information that's on Google. So we'll be doing this in the future and seeing what interesting things we can come up with. But to start with, the most interesting insight we've got is ChatGPT4 has not liked Mike Porter. I asked it to compare and contrast these five lists, and it ignored Mike from all of its analysis. So maybe that's because he's not been playing much recently, but apparently he's not hes not relevant to these discussions. So sorry, Mike. Uh, best of luck, but uh, no one likes your Ezekiel choice, and uh, we, we won't be talking about you much in the future. So <laughs> bye-bye. Um, but yeah, going on to uh, the four lists that it has decided to talk about. It said, Manny Chima and Malik Amin's lists emphasize heavy support, while Alex Petford and Adam Lane's lists emphasize fast attack. Manny's list is heavy on the Terminator and Desolation squads, while Malik's includes a mixture of unit choices. Alex and Adam have gone for heavy fast attack choices, while... uh, Overall, the choice of lists should depend on the player's preferred playstyle and strategy, and each of these lists offers unique strengths and weaknesses. Which ultimately, that's kind of been what we've been talking about this episode, Alex. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the first two comments it's made here, that Manny and Malik have gone with an emphasis on heavy support. Malik's list obviously has the whirlwind in there, and then you and uh, Adam have gone for more similar sort of fast attack based lists. Do you agree with? Do you agree with our AI overlords analysis of this, or uh, do you think this is you know going down a uh, false path? No, I, I definitely agree. I think it sort of hits the, the nail on the head there. Um, I mean, Manny certainly from his previous lists, what you've pretty much seen is he's stripped out all of the fast attack options and, and replaced it with desolators. Um, so. It's still very, very strong list, a uh, little bit less quick, a little bit, bit less able to maybe play certain secondaries and things. Um, but uh, in terms of like the raw output, um, very strong. Uh, Malik, uh, exactly the same thing. Um, if anything, maybe uh, got a little bit too excited about Desolators uh, and Indirect Fire uh, and tried to hark back to his Imperial Fist days by recreating the Dark Angels Imperial Fist list. Um, but that's that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, we then asked it for the pros and cons of each of these lists, and the cons of Manichim's lists are listed as lack of mobility, limited fast attack choices may make this list vulnerable to fast-moving opponents. And yesterday when we were speaking to George and putting our bets on for this weekend, we both favoured Alex Harrison in this matchup because he has fast-moving, reliable 
damage into Dark Angels because of the re-rolling wounds from the Lightning Claws. So it would be interesting to see if he can play with that fast-moving Space Wolf list and uh, manage to counter Manny and Malik's slow, more heavy sport-focused lists. Now, one of the things that ChatGPT4 has said, which we'll close with, is that it's important to note that the best list is subjective and dependent on the player's preferred playstyle, strategy, and the specific scenario or matchup they are facing. The key to choosing a list that aligns with your strength and preferences as a player while considering potential weaknesses and counter strategies your opponents might employ. So, Alex, give us a human's perspective now. Given what you know now that lists are public, now that you know what the other top players are playing, how would you change your list that you are taking to the Manchester? Would you put the Hellblasters back in, or are you happy with the Desolators' choices? What what tweaks might you make if you had submitted your list late? Um, I'm happy with the Desolator choices, uh, to be honest. So I wouldn't put the Hellblasters back in. Um, I would maybe consider taking one of the units up to uh, a 10-man squad. Um, but I'd, I'd struggle to, to think what I'd want to drop. To be honest, um, you know that that point around wanting to to play according to your play style. You know, I like the fact that the Dark Angels list has got this really solid, tough core of the Terminators, and then all of these little fast moving things that can can sort of move around the sides and and do damage um, and play the mission for you. Uh, it, it suits my play style, um, and yeah, I, I I wouldn't sort of want to move away from that just because I've seen you know some lists that maybe have more raw power. Um, or, or ability to, you know, play the game in a, a, a less interactive way, potentially. Yes, yeah, I think that's really great. And, and the, I had the same sort of experience when I saw the new missions and I looked at my Dark Angels and said, I can get away from that boring Dark Angel list I hated, which was just all Terminator, and add in these new Ravenwing things that previously I found engaging to play, but perhaps weren't super useful back before the secondaries changed. So... Well done on picking something that you uh, are happy with. Best of luck this weekend. Hopefully you do well with it. And uh, you know, if you do, if you do super well and come away with it with the uh, with the win, I'm sure we'll speak to you next week about your weekend. So thanks very much for coming on. And a reminder to everyone: Leeds tickets do launch this Friday at 2 p.m. WarhammerTournaments.com. Come along if you want to be part of potentially the third biggest 40k tournament in the in the world. And, of course, we still have tickets for all our other upcoming events, including the London Open, which is on the 15th and 16th of April. That's our next event after Manchester. And that's been selling surprisingly well recently. Typically, those events tend to have about 100 people come to them. And I think this time around, we'll probably do somewhere above 150. So it's no longer a small little local event. If you are in the southeast or even up into the Midlands, it's definitely worth checking out. We are right by Wembley, so it's easy to get to via car. Or if you're in London, there's a tube station right next door. So hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Alex, thank you very much for coming on and hope you have a good night. Thanks, Zach. Thank you for tuning in to What's Happening in 40K. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'd also really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and recommending us to all your gaming buddies. And, of course, don't forget to subscribe for more great content from What's Happening in 40K. We'll be back next time with even more news, updates, and opinions from the world of Warhammer 40,000. Until next time, thanks for listening.